Hey, hey, this is Eva Lorraine Jean Charles with the Black on Black Education podcast. Today, you're going to hear an incredible conversation with Sterling Grimes, a member of the Fellowship of Black Male Educators. I know you're going to learn something from this one. All right. Hello, hello. Welcome. So we want to start by letting everybody know who we're talking with um, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, so my name is Sterling Grimes. I currently serve as the Chief Program Officer for the Fellowship BMAC Incorporated. Uh, we support the recruitment, retention, and development of highly effective Black men in education. Awesome. So my first question, I want you to tell us about how your life trajectory and how it's brought to you to where you are right now. Yeah, uh, so I grew up in Prince George's County, Maryland, right outside D.C., um, I started my education in private school, actually. My parents um, had the ability to send both myself and my younger sister to private school for a few years. So I started there, but then switched to public education in fifth grade. Um, and I've been a public school student ever since. Um, I graduated from high school and went to um, college at the University of Maryland, College Park, go Terps, uh, where I went and studied political science. I was totally planning to go into government work. Um, in high school, I had done a lot of work with student government, got really involved in the political process, and just really loved the idea of if we can make government do the right things, like people actually benefit. Like I do believe in the concept of good government and the benefits that that can provide. So I had this whole plan. I was going to get a degree in poli sci, and it's going to somehow go out there and save the world. Um, while I was in undergrad, I also started interning for the Department of Homeland Security. So I actually got to work for the government and see what that was like, um, in addition to working on a number of political campaigns, um, including President Obama's first election um, in 08. So I got a lot of experience in that realm. And to be quite honest, like I could do it, but I didn't love it. Uh, and so I got to senior year and was just asking some questions, like, what are we really doing? And a friend of mine said, hey, you know, the TFA deadline is coming up tonight. We should just apply. <laughs> no, I'm so serious. <laughs> uh, we should just apply and, you know, let's just see what happens. And, you know, I said, sure, let's put it in the back pocket. Let's good to have options. So we run back to our rooms, apply. I press submit with like literally three minutes to spare on the deadline. Wow. And somehow I keep getting through the rounds and it gets to the spring and they're saying, hey, if you want to come on board, rank your cities, let's do this. Uh, so I ranked a bunch of cities and ended up getting selected for Philadelphia. So a week after graduation, I moved to Philly to start teaching. Um, the plan was to be there for three years because, you know, everybody does their two years and out. And I was like, no, I'm going to definitely stay for three, try to do some good work. And hopefully after that point, I'll know more about what I want to do with my life. And year three turned into year four, turned into year five. Next thing you know, eight years later, I'm still teaching in the exact same school, working with my kids, being a great team lead, managing DEI training, coaching the slam team. It just became a part of who I am. Um, you know, one of my aunties said, you know, this is your calling, right? And I was like, oh, okay, you got it. Um, and... <laughs> Of course, she was right. So um, that is sort of the, the pathway for me into education. Wasn't a part of the plan, wasn't the way that I expected things to go. And somehow the steps sort of aligned to bring me to the classroom, uh, which is actually where I got involved with the fellowship. Awesome. So yeah, mentioning the, the fellowship, tell us a little bit more about that and what you do there, kind of what their mission is and 
let people know kind of like the impact and, and importance of what you guys are doing? Yeah, so it's really cool. Actually, the whole organization started as a series of dinners. Uh, I was looking for black male mentorship. Um, there were a couple of black men in my school, but none of us were in school leadership. And I did not know many people who were black men who were managing in that kind of way. So I went to my first principal, a black woman, and she directed me to someone named Sharif Elmeki. Uh, and he had been having these sort of informal conversations with a bunch of black men for a couple of months and invited me to join them. And so I did. And we continued having those dinner conversations and realized we needed to do a bit more. Like we all knew three or four guys who were in the exact same position we were in that didn't even have these sort of moments to kind of come together with affinity and be able to think and talk and plan. Uh, and so we said, let's do a little something more. Everybody bring a couple of guys. We'll get a space. Maybe, you know, 40, 50 people will show up one night. It's this super rainy, cold night. We've been all trying to figure out how to do this thing while also at our day jobs. We're like, okay, let's just see what happens here. 150 guys show up from wow. Philly, DC, New York, Jersey. The superintendent is there. The newspaper is there. And people are just like, I've never had anything like this. Like, this is just so necessary. And so we realized we had tapped into something really critical. Uh, and over the course of the next year, we incorporated as a nonprofit and started while still doing our full-time day jobs, kind of pouring into this space and investing. Uh, and since then, we have become an organization with three full-time staff members, myself included, uh, working to build pipelines into education to support the current development of educators, as well as to think about where research and policy can start to shift the conversation on a larger scale. Wow, that's amazing. Um, that's amazing. And then that kind of just, yeah, just like you said, it tapped into something that like people weren't even checking for. Mm -hmm. and, so, and because so many people were dying for that thing and they were, so many people showed up to something that was supposed to be a couple of people hanging out to have a conversation. So that's actually, that's amazing. Um, and so in talking about that, like for you, why is education so important, especially in black communities? Like, and why is educating educators so important, especially in black communities? Yeah. Uh, so one of the taglines for our organization is 2% is not enough. Uh, nationwide, only 2% of all black men, of all teachers are black men. Uh, and when you talk about a nation with more than 50% of their students being people of color, like that's a problem, period. Um, you can't be what you can't see. And so when we think about who is in front of our students, there are so many opportunities that are missed because people never see themselves in that role. People don't see that viable pathway. Uh, which is why we think mentorship is so critical. Um, and we believe that educators are in a perfect position to be able to do that. Um, part of our experience has taught us that education has the ability to level certain playing fields. Um, it is not a silver bullet. Just because you graduate high school or even college does not mean that your entire life is automatically fixed. But there are certain skills, there are certain spaces that you have access to because of those skills that education does provide. And those legs up are critical pieces to how we see more equity in our society. Uh, so for us, in thinking about why we spend our days supporting black male educators, it's because we want those individuals who, in who are in front of kids every day to be as effective as possible so that they can pour as much as possible into kids. And it's as simple as that for us. If we want our society to do better, we have to get right at the heart of our issues. And that means that making sure the next generation has everything that they need has to be a top priority. Absolutely. 
So when we first met at the Teach for America conference, I was inspired by a lot of your comments um, about raising expectations and pulling students up to, to a certain bar because if you don't expect high things from students, they're gonna rise to the expectations that you give them. So can you just tell us a little bit more about that and how, as an educator in the classroom, you learn that? Yeah, uh, I think it's, it's the same as we look at with anybody trying to achieve something great. Um, if we give people the space to rise to that occasion, they see the potential that they have and they see just how far they can go. Uh, it gets easy in education in particular from my experience, but I think in life, to just go with what we know how to do. Like the status quo, it's the status quo because it's easy. That's what we can do normally. Uh, but normal and everyday and average never got us to the moon. Normal and everyday and average never got the Civil Rights Act approved. Normal and everyday is why we still see the challenges we have because there are a number of people who are okay with the way things have been. And to be quite honest, that puts people in marginalized communities, black and brown folks in particular, at a disadvantage consistently. Uh, and so when I think about our students and pushing them, for me, it's really about saying, I've been here a little bit longer, and so I know that this isn't, your, this isn't your cap. You can absolutely do more. You have that ability. Your potential is limitless if we just open up those avenues for you, because that's what was done for me. Um, I walked into ninth grade thinking I wanted to be a pediatrician, uh, but then I saw somebody else's blood and realized, ooh, <laughs> not my ministry. <laughs> I can do my own. I can't do other people's. Cool, cool, cool. But if somebody said, like, oh, well, I guess that's it what would I be doing right now? Instead, you know, one of my mentors in high school was like, okay, so what's next? You're taking seven different classes a day, find something that interests you and dig into it. Uh, and so when I was in a classroom teaching uh, setting, for me, it was really about showing my students, there's way more that you can do than you even know. Uh, and it's just up to someone to help show you that that's possible. And for me, that really became a part of the work that I did to invest in my relationships. You know, when my students saw that I was going to push them and challenge them and force them to get a bit uncomfortable, but that it was rooted in the fact that we had trust in one another and that we had love for one another, they were much more willing to do that. And again, the gains just went up crazy from there. And not even just academically, I'm talking about life gains. People said like, oh, wow, I had never really considered that I could take on this role or that I could do this kind of work or have this kind of impact had it not been for educators who came around me and showed me that so much more was possible. Yeah, I feel that, yeah, I feel like people don't know what they don't know. And when you hold people at low expectations, you prevent them from learning what they don't know. And if they don't learn what they don't know, they can't figure that thing out. Exactly. Um, and, and so, yeah, like I, there, I went through seven classes a day and maybe two of my teachers or three of my teachers truly had an investment in what, was gonna happen to me after I left the high school building and then what was gonna happen to me now that I'm in my senior year of college and preparing to leave that space. Like I have professors and I had teachers in high school, very few that said, I'm gonna hold you to these really high standards so that you're ready to take on the world after you leave. And so too often students of color don't get that. And without getting that, they, they leave high school and if they make it into college then leave college without knowing what they don't know. So that's, Absolutely, hitting that right on the head. Um, so in your opinion, it's like shifting gears a little bit. In your opinion, what is the most important thing that needs to be changed about the, the system of education? Mm. I think the system of education is right now designed 
to force individuals to choose one thing, mm. to specialize in one thing without the ability to be creative about infusing their passion into a viable, workable career. Um, and I think we're starting to shift a little bit, um, particularly as entrepreneurship has blossomed around the world. Uh, but even for myself, going through the undergraduate experience less than a decade ago, almost less than a decade ago, because uh, we're getting, we getting close to that mark, my goodness. Um, but for me, it was, I walked in, I declared a major and it was like, okay, here's your path to a career in this field. You need to take these six courses by this time and these four courses by this time. You can't worry about this stuff over here. Um, and here's your one chance to find something different. Like it was literally called a diversity credit. And that got to be, you know, either a foreign language or something not related to your major. But the idea was just that it was an elective one shot experience that like, hey, hopefully you like it and it broadens your horizon some way, but don't forget about this course stuff. I get the idea of having a focus and a major and a declared path, and that makes total sense in the abstract. In reality, however, someone like me got to senior year having done all of this work and had actually realized, like, I've had this plus the real world experience and I don't want to do it. What now? Mm-hmm. And then we have what we see all the time, somebody walking out of undergrad with a degree and working in a field completely different because it turns out that wasn't what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, for me, that diversity credit was a sign language course and I fell in love with it. And I've already told myself, if and when I finish this career path, like I want to go be certified to be an interpreter. Like that I've already decided is what I'm interested in off of that one experience. Now, what had happened if I had been exposed to that earlier or had the ability to infuse that into what I'm doing while I'm already an undergrad? Not something that tells me, hey, finish this course you've chosen. And if you want, and you have the time and the money years later, go back and find that other passion for yourself. Mm-hmm. What if we created a system that had kids exploring much earlier? In elementary school, we're engaging you beyond your neighborhood and showing you just exactly what the world can be and what it does hold. You know, my kids, I remember sitting when I was teaching seventh grade, some of them had never left Philadelphia. Some of them had never left their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. By the time I got to my 12th grade year, I'd already been to Europe Mm. because my parents were fortunate enough to be able to provide me with that opportunity. And so we have to have an education system that invests in giving kids that access and those opportunities so that they truly see what's possible. Because everybody walks out of third grade saying, yep, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a president. I'm going to be a firefighter. Because those are the things that we're seeing and are taught like, yep, this is a viable career path. You could totally love those things and go that route. But what if it turns out that you love animals, but nobody is giving you access to veterinary medicine until halfway through college? Yeah. We need more exposure. We need more access so that people know what's possible and have the ability to make those choices for themselves earlier. Mm. So um, I, I'm, I'm, I, live, I go to school in New York City. Um, I'm a product of the CUNY system. And the CUNY system now has a program called CUNY BA, which is a where you, which is a program where students who have a certain GPA can apply into and make their own. Um, their like I can I made my entire um, curriculum from scratch from what I wanted to do. So similar to your experience, I got to my junior year. I had a well, kind of opposite your experience. I got to my junior year and I had a, an internship, and I was at the front of a classroom with um, incar- uh, previously incarcerated folks. And 
I fell in love. Like I, <laughs> I was in the front of the room and I was like, I know I'm going to like this. I know I'm going to enjoy it, but I knew that I need to eventually be teaching and be an educator. Like I knew that that's what I needed to do after it was like the fourth week of me being at this internship, only four and a half hours a week. And I knew like, I want to do this every day. Yeah. And so because of that program was available to me, I was able to take to shift and pivot and, and move my curriculum in a completely different way. But the way so many different programs work throughout the country, or if you're not even the best student because you're forcing yourself to do something that you don't like, and then it's coming out in your grades, you, those opportunities are, are not available to you. And that doesn't make sense. College should be more exploratory. And we, I know people who are in this program who are doing art mixed with hard science and they're finding a way to balance those two things. So I'm glad the CUNY system has it, but I just wish it was available to more students. And there was more access to, to this program and to this beautiful thing where I got to explore so many different facets of, of education and what I think it should be and, ha and like these theory classes. So I think like, that is so important, like in changing the system and saying that like the way that we did things a hundred years ago isn't going to work. And why is this one of the only systems that's still the same a hundred years later? That's a problem. <laughs> and you can see it spilling out in all facets. Like it starts with the, how do we put kids in schools and what is the experience that we force them to go through every day on a number of levels, academically, socially, culturally, just discipline, which people would try to call culture, but it's actually just discipline and control. Um, on up through the way that we support educators. I mean, look at any other major profession. We have doctors taking six or seven years just to be able to see patients on their own. Mm -hmm. Lawyers go to law school and then apprentice for years, clerkships, all kinds of spaces where they are continuing to develop their mind, continue to develop their practice. Teachers, we don't give the same expectation to when they're literally shaping human lives. Like before you grow up to be that lawyer or a doctor, somebody taught you, why aren't we investing in the people doing the teaching? Like that is, is mind boggling to me. Like we need more resources for education, not less. Uh, and, and this isn't some sort of like big government, tell everybody what to do type thing. Like, no, we just need to invest in the way that we're telling, telling teachers, like this is how we value you in this system given the impact that you have every single day. Trust me, I know teachers on the front line that are quite literally saving lives. Mm -hmm. The way that we value that right now does not speak to the kind of country we say we are or who we try to parade around and being. And so if we wanna be serious about it, we, it's, it's as simple as putting our money where our mouth is, I think as a, as a first step. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sitting here watching the debates, I'm waiting, cause I don't hear y'all talking about it. I don't, like uh, maybe Andrew Yang and Kamala like tried to throw it in there a little bit of like the importance of education and the importance in, in investing in teachers that, like you said, are quite literally saving people's lives. Um, and so on that note, the last question, I just want to know what, if you if a policymaker is listening to this, if a parent is listening to this, if a student is listening to this, for each of those people, what would you want them to hear from, or, or really gather from the, from this conversation? So I think I would have to say quite honestly that all of those three individuals or really anybody who pops in and hears this, like you're a part of this conversation. Uh, I think oftentimes people think that we sit in these echo chambers as educators and just like talk to one another and yell to our union. And it just stays in this sort of back and forth battle of like who's actually in the classrooms and who's at the policy level making decisions when really it's 
people in the classrooms, and by that I mean both students and teachers who have a voice and should have a more elevated voice in this. It's the parents who are at home supporting in our communities. It is the school leaders, it is the policymakers, it is the colleges and universities, it is the transit subsidy people, because all of you have an impact on the way that schooling plays out every single day. You know, I had an issue a month into my fifth year of teaching, I remember, where a student just consistently was not showing up and people were like, this kid's about to get dropped in his senior year because he's not showing up. We found out they were doing construction on the bus stop where he caught the SEPTA into school. And so the bus never stopped there. Wow. He doesn't get to school because of something that he doesn't control at all. And he's the only one that's held accountable for this thing. And so to the parent, to the student, to the policymaker, to the friend, all listening in on this conversation, like your part in this absolutely matters. And so if we are going to fix education, if we are going to truly do what's best for our students and for the educators in front of them every day, like we all have to lean in and leverage our resources to make this conversation happen. Awesome. Right. Were you guys listening? Because that's what we all need to be doing. Um, so to end this out, do you have any questions for me and like about what Black on Black Education is doing or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think... I'm always really fascinated by the different conversations that are happening um, in the ed space. So I've done a couple of podcast interviews at this point uh, from different vantage points. And I think it's always just really cool to see, like, if you were able to sort of have your voice broadcast, who do you feel like you definitely feel like needs to hear it, whether they actually are or not? Um, and what would you want to see them do based off of what the conversations that you've been having are? Um, that's a great question. I want. I want students to hear this and I want teachers to hear this because my life has been formulated by the education that I've had. So my home life growing up was not fantastic. And so for me, education has always, school has always been my sanctuary. Books have always been my sanctuary. And I'm lucky enough to have that investment in education. And so the people that I want to hear this are anybody who thinks that education isn't cool or anybody who thinks that education um, means that it's the, the, the eight to three that you're in the school building. Um, I think we can find education in almost anything. I think we can use education to build each other up. And I want people to, to know that they can hold America and the rest of the world accountable for what it says that it's going to do. So if America tells people, like people that I want to hear this, that your voice, it does matter. And so, yes, it is all of our jobs to tell the United States, you said that you were going to do one, two, and three. So now we're going to hold you accountable for one, two, and three. And I think that's where uh, Black on Black Education wants to stick itself. We want to stick ourselves in not only paying attention to what's happening while you're in the school building, but what's happening and what you're learning at home. And if what you're learning at home isn't great, helping counterbalance that. And all the, the gaps that, I, that, that were left in my educational experience, especially K through 12, never learned about sex ed, never learned about financial literacy, never learned about um, how to operate in friendships, never learned about consent. Finding people who are Black, who, want, who are passionate about teaching other Black people, um, those things, the things that Black people are missing. And so that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm, 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 I'm trying to do. <laughs> Yo, I love that. I mean, that's, that's the stuff. I mean, we could run this forever of like, what are the things that we're missing? Like, yeah, these real critical things. And I've brought this up 
in a conversation a few weeks ago, actually, where someone was saying, like, how do we do things differently? And I was like, that's just it. You give people the space to just do it differently. Like, we weren't taught financial literacy in school and how to really understand the implication of choosing a master's program and what that $60,000 of loans day one would mean two years later when you graduated or eight years later for me, looking at a $70,000 bill, like, I don't know where that's going to come from because I'm working for a nonprofit in education. Like, I'm not rolling in it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what if we just did that differently? What if we gave people the space to say, like, turns out we do know this stuff and we can expose you to it earlier, which gives you just that much more of a leg up to be able to make the right choices for yourself. Like, that's, that's it. Like, no one is out here saying we're trying to, like, turn people on some crazy agenda. Like, I totally respect, you know, individual rights around schooling. But give people the ability to have access to knowledge. Like that right there is is half the game. Um, mm-hmm. We'd have better people. Maybe we'd have less white men being angry and shooting up places if we taught about consent and dialogue and recognizing that like some people are different from you and that doesn't make them bad or you bad. And they're not actually trying to make your life worse because they're different. And it turns out that a woman is allowed to control her bare body point blank period. And that has nothing to do with you and doesn't mean anything about you. So if she says, no, why don't you go find something else to do? You'll be okay. Like we could teach those things. Mm-hmm. We start early enough. It turns out people learn them and they do pretty well with it because I was taught some of that stuff early and it turns out that I'm pretty decent. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then we taught people how to challenge themselves and say like, I'm still decent, but there's still work I can do. How do I do that for myself? How do I make sure that I'm the right kind of individual for this society? Like mm-hmm. that is doable. We just got to be the ones that choose to say like, actually, instead of us focusing on Christopher Columbus right now, like let's talk about these other things that might actually help you a little bit more and turn out to funnily enough be true. Give people people the opportunity to, to, to get knowledge. And so like me and my dad talk a lot about like, what if, the school was open from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. What if it like kids were excited every time they came to the school building? What like what if what if we put the steps in place and the resources available to do that? How many other issues in our society would no longer be a problem? All those kids who are loitering outside of wherever because they don't have anywhere to go between three and when their parents come home. How many like it? how many teachers go through knowing a kid for years and years and don't know anything about them? Oh, we see it all the time. What if that wasn't the case? What if kids came to school and felt loved, if, especially when they're not getting it at home? What if? And because people are, want to call those dreams, um, they're lackadaisical or we're, or we're trying or, or we think we're trying to make this utopia. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be this far off thing. And so, um, yeah, give people the space to say what if and then try those what ifs. What, what, yeah. is, what, is, the, what is the risk in, in trying to make better people going into, going, coming into the world? Like, what if? So, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down with me. This is a great conversation. I can't wait for people to hear it. Thank you. I truly enjoy it. I, I always have a good time kind of like debating the experience and talking about what we've learned and just like carrying the conversation on because like that's that's part of how it grows. Like the more people that are talking about it and, and challenging one another and putting their perspectives in, like we don't have all the answers, but people who are experiencing stuff like and providing options, like I can take that and say like, hey, Cooney's doing this. Isn't that possible somewhere else? Like when I get access to another room and I have the ability to influence like those like that's the movement right now because we clearly know people at the top 
Like they want to be in charge, but they don't want to lead. So you got to do it down here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.